You know what I'm feeling like? We go into the war, we're worried about, about the fear that we're experiencing right now. Even as a nation, even as a person, you're worried about the fear. You don't know how to deal with it. You don't know. Did you know that, that if fear ramped up 10 times greater than it was today, some of you are like, well, how would I even deal with that? Because I'm not dealing with today all that well. Like tomorrow, if there's a 10% increase, I could maybe get there. But what if it ramped up 10 times? And what if it ramped up 100 times? What if the situation got so bad? Did you know that what keeps you safe in the battle is your commanding officer? The Lord of heaven's hosts is here among us. He is within us. He goes behind us and before us. And when we go out to fight the Lord's battles, you don't, I mean, you swing a sword, like you do your best you can, little buddy. But it's all about what the Lord Jesus can do and what he's already done on the cross to save you and to redeem your life from every destruction, to heal all of your diseases. Come on, Canada, to heal all of your diseases. The person beside you also keeps you on the wall and keeps you strong. And I think sometimes we're way too individualistic as a country and as a nation. We think that it's all about us and what you can do. It is not about what you can do. It is what we can is about what we can do as a unit with God at our head. And look, we can do anything. There's nothing that God can tell us to do that we couldn't do by the grace and the power of the Spirit of God. And when we move out in that grace and that power, He protects us. He cares for us. And I, I hate to break it to you, sons and daughters of God, but why are you afraid of dying? Like, dying is when the party starts. And then you get to heaven before I get there, and you make me tacos. Because my heaven is going to be filled with tacos. I think that, that we have an entire generation who's understanding for the first time, like, having to wrestle with making peace with God. Once you make peace with God, it settles it. Once you accept Jesus as Lord and his blood covers your sins and you come home to the family of God, what are you afraid of anymore? David says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But look, if you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, keep going. Come out the other side in the hands of Jesus. You will find a different Jesus in the valley than you find on the mountaintop. But he is more powerful down there than he is on the mountain, I think. He is the same God, Almighty. Yeah, come on, Benny. Help me out. Can I get a little more on this mic? Because I shouted myself hoarse and sang my vocal whatever it is out. That's better. Thank you. Venue Church, we've been here for just over three and a half years. And, and come on. This is so awesome. I'm going to tell you the early days because I'm doing a sermon series called The Blueprint. And uh, to this morning, I'm going to go through the, the first five of our 10 venue code items. And we had a code when we came here. When I asked, it was 30 some people, I think, to come here from a, a rural community north of here. To come here, I asked them to, to, hey, how would you feel about like selling your home and then buying the same home in Airdrie for 60 or $80,000 more? You think I'm joking and I'm not. And they came. We came. And because we, we did, God has done uh, many things for us here. But the early days of the church, you might come in now and be like, oh, this is kind of working. And yeah, you know, you have like lights. And I'm going to tell you some stories about when we came, man. We were like, it was ghetto. And we did the best we could. Now we have teams and team leaders and communication. And back then it was like everybody was on one team. And if you had to do the toilet paper, that was your job. 
and get that done in the next minute because you had 50 other jobs that you had to do too. And we were just trying to bring the gospel to Airdrie in a different way. And, and uh, there's great churches here, our partners in, in ministry here. But what God called us to do is very different. We have to be okay with that. We have to be okay in our own skin. You see, you come into church and you come into even this worship experience. It might be your first time in church ever. You come in with a blueprint for your life that is giving you your current results. You know, you're building off of a blueprint. And then you come into a worship experience where God's like, yeah, you've been afraid all week. Why don't I just take that blueprint and give you the blueprint that says, if God is in you, what, who would you be afraid of? Maybe you're missing the part where, where God created everything. And God can keep you safe. And Jesus bled out on a cross, on a cross to redeem your life from every destruction. To heal you of every disease. Look, whatever happens here on this earth is not final. What happens up there is final. And sometimes what God has to do is he has to remind us that it is all about him. And if we would just rest in him and find the peace of God, it will surpass your understanding. It will help you. It will strengthen you. When we came here, there were so many things that were shifting and changing and moving all the time. And it was hard. We suffered betrayal and hardship and we got ripped off. And not because we were dumb. I don't think that we were dumb. We just wanted to bring the gospel to Airdrie. We bled a code that kept our feet on the ground and kept us there in the battle. And I feel like some of you uh, today and, and maybe you're watching from somewhere else that's not here. Can you tell them that you miss them a little bit? Three people are glad are missing them. I miss you. Um, we bled a code and it became our blueprint. It's not full of specifics about how we do church. We've changed the how like 50,000 times. How we did everything has shifted and changed and it will by next year too. And no, but it's how we think and how we feel and how we think that the Holy Spirit thinks and feels about Venue Church. All we can do is build this church. And if you come in and you've been attending a different church years ago and you come in and you're like, but this church is not that church. <laughs> it's not. One of our guys described it as uh, Edwards. He's our pre-production lead now. He described it as shocking. I said, what was your first experience like? He goes, shocking. And then he said, and, and he kept using the word shocking. He did, had like five sentences and the word shocking was in there like 10 times. I'm like, was it really that shocking? I don't feel like it should be that shocking. He's like, it blew our hair back, you know, was, and, and, <laughs> and now he's the one, if you think it's too loud in here, just complain to him. It's kind of funny how God turns it around. That's all I'm saying. God, don't send me to Africa. Don't say that unless you want to go to Africa, everybody. I'm going to tell you some of the early stories about what it was like when we came here. First of all, we came to the Bird Church Theater, which was the best building in town for us to start a church in. And we started doing evening services at the time because we thought that that was what we should do, which was probably a bad idea, but I don't know. It seemed like the thing to do. It had a really cool culture and a really cool like hip-hop vibe, too. Like, I, I loved it. We attracted loads and loads of unchurched people. And we, in fact, we baptized, have I already said this, 90 people, I think, or something like that in just the three years and a bit. And so... But I'm going to tell you, we had to fight for every one of those. And, and first of all, to get that theater, my first conversation with the theater manager, his name was Eric at the time. And well, his name is, his name is still Eric, but he was the theater manager at the time. And, uh, and then he got a change of name into, no, I don't know. The first time that I talked to him, he says, he says, I'm like, you have the best building in town. And uh, he's like, yeah, and it sits empty on Sundays. And I'm like, well, why don't you rent it to us? We want to plant a church here. And he goes, oh, don't even ask us to rent this building. 
on a recurring basis. You might be able to get in here once or twice, but don't even. And I'm like, you know how many doors slammed in our, in our faces? I see you guys are here because we handed out cards and we taped loonies to them so that people would look at our cards. And they showed up to church and look what God has done. Come on. Man, we just tried stuff on top of other stuff. We didn't know what we were doing, but. And he said, yeah, you're never even going to get this. And I went back and I said, Holy Spirit, we need that building if you want us to go there. We need that building. It's the best building in town for us right now. And, and we love this building. It's, it's just easier to do church for, with us as we've grown much more flexible. And you'll hear some of the stories. But I went back and then his, his boss called him, I think, the next day. And I got a call from him saying, his boss told him, like, why are you not renting that building out? Find, some, find a tenant for that building. So he calls me up the next day and he's like, okay, what do you guys want? Yeah, that's a miracle, but man, I was sweating. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> this code has been our target. It's how we think and how we feel. Thank you, Sean. I, I, you could just play there forever. I kind of like it. <laughs> Sean, Sean was, how many people were here in that very first, that first group that came here? Oh, come on. Give them some love, everybody. They're the ones who are giving all the love. Um, Sean, I remember Sean one time, like, okay, so we started church, we started doing soft starts in November of that year, so we've been here for three and a half years, and, and we started doing soft starts, we really kicked it off on, on New Year's Eve that year, but, but before that, on the April 1st, we took a team of about 30 people uh, to the theater at, at, on that day, and about 30 people, and we were going to start church like a year later at Easter, but then it kind of got ramped up, and we came here a little bit earlier, and... Um, and I, I made a mixtape for everybody who went in the vehicle convoy to get to the theater. And I said, I said, I said, okay, guys, there's clues to where we're going in each of the songs. So you got to listen super carefully to the clues. And it just blew up Gibson's mind because his brain just can't, he, he thought that I was serious. And so, and so we get there and he's like, well, you know, like basically like, what's up with the songs? Like the clues, like this didn't make any sense. Cause we showed up at the theater and I'm like, oh no, I was just messing with you. It's April fool's day. There's no clues to the songs. They're just my favorite songs right now. I just wanted you to have fun. And so we, we, we showed up at the theater. We walked into the back of the theater in the auditorium there, like the, the seats are up high and we walked, we walked into the back and we were all kind of crowded around the back. And I said, in a year's time, it turned out to be earlier than that. But in a year's time, I told those 30 people. We're going to be doing church here, and we're not going to be doing it back in, in the church that we had inherited from my dad, um, where we were at. And I said, we're not going to be doing church here. We're going to be doing church in Airdrie. Silence. And I'm like, help me preach, everybody. And everybody starts clapping and whistling, and they're into it, and they're just like, yes, we can do it. They were waiting to be challenged. Now, you might come in when everything's working, and, and I want you to get the heartbeat of that first ghetto crew that figured out how to do church. Now, here's the thing. We are part of an organization now. We were part of a different one back then that didn't do church planting all that well. And so we didn't even know the ARC now, which is the Association of Related Churches. We didn't even know them back then. We found out about them in January after we planted. We're like, oh, somebody figured all of this out? How to plant a church? We just tried it, you know. The early uh, creative team was Jesse Fair and I. And I, and I don't create. I'm like, I can't draw something. It's terrible. My, my artistic ability is stuck in my four-year-old being, you know, it's nasty. And so how many emails back and forth did we send in that month before we planted? Like thousands of emails. Like he was on call and that's not fun when you're on call with me. I'm like, where's this thing? And he's like, well, I got 47 other things I'm doing too, you know? Now we have teams and we have this and we have communication. Back then it was just like all hands to the pumps, just like get 
a church service going and somehow we would drive to the theater. Now, now the beautiful thing is, is that that theater is beautiful, but we were dealing with, cause the city kind of operates it. And then the school has a deal with it, the high school there. And every week we would show up, the rules would change on us. And it was so hard to like, and we were the best tenants. We would literally like do anything that they would ask us to do. But it was so confusing. Like we got there one day and there was no soap. So we had to send somebody to go buy soap for the theater. And I think Rod spent half his life there just vacuuming popcorn up. And that we get in there in the auditorium is just like covered in popcorn. And we're like, and so we'd get the vacuums out, find vacuums and get vacuums out and vacuum up the popcorn and then and then because you're dealing with a bit of a city bureaucracy and I love the city of Airdrie I love you I love you but venue church operates about exactly the opposite because <laughs> we would get there sometimes and it'd be like there'd be no show, snow shoveled and and I mean like all the things that we dealt with and then there would be like well and, and we found some there was I remember one time they made a huge deal about we left cupcake crumbs on the ground someplace and I'm like are you not here when we clean this building every every single time before we do church like we clean the whole, like we do whatever we have to do and clean the building out. And then, and then can, can I hear this? Like Sunday school, we heard about this so many times. Glitter. You cannot use glitter anymore. Glitter. And finally, Pastor Aaron's like, I don't even think that it's our glitter because it's the dance people that are in there on Saturday. Maybe they use a lot of glitter. Have you ever seen a dance performance? And, and you're just dealing with a bureau. Every, every week that we got there, something had shifted and they changed the rules. Like it was like, we'd get there, we'd have a, a coffee in the back hallway for some team, early team members in a big wide hallway and we're loading stuff in and out of there. And then we do it for months. And then all of a sudden one day somebody come and freak out because it was like a safety hazard and they tell us to move it. And then we come back the next week and they tell us to move it back. We're just like, well, make up your minds. <laughs> Y'all need to communicate because we're trying to do our best here, but we don't know what to do anymore. And we're just, you know, we come in with a, a crew of people and I mean, things like <laughs> things we were dealing with there. Now we get like a recurring rent, you know, like we know where we are, but we used to have to offsite people all the time. We didn't know we'd get, we, we found out on a Thursday one time that we didn't get the building for Sunday. And they're like, oh, you didn't get the memo. We're like, no, we didn't get the memo. There wasn't a memo. They're like, well, we sent it out at the beginning of the season. You sent an email how many months ago? Like, don't you guys get paid for handling this? <laughs> Thanks for the heads up. You know, like, well, yeah, no, we said that it might not be available for this Sunday. We're like, and we didn't even know until I was out praying, I think, and the Holy Spirit's like, you should check the availability of the theater. Every week we got there, we didn't know if we'd be there, if the doors would be locked, if somebody would, like, we didn't know. We used to get kicked out of the auditorium spaces because the school would have it sometimes. And I would do deals with the school where I'm like, hey, we can provide a crew of people to come in and take all your production stuff down because you don't even use it on Sundays. Why don't you let us do it? I'm like, we can even give into your theater program, like give money to you guys if, if we could have the, the thing, but they'd be like, no. And so they'd let us do it sometimes, but not let us do it other times. And it would sit there empty while we're doing a service in the lobby. So we'd have to go rent a bunch of equipment, rent a bunch of chairs and do service in the lobby, like an unplugged service, when all the building is sitting there with nobody in it, except for two high school kids wandering around aimlessly texting each other. We're like, <laughs> that couldn't wait for a couple of hours, you know? And we're just like trying to figure out what to do. And they schedule maintenance in there too. And I went in there one time during a maintenance time and there was nobody in there. All the maintenance had been done. They just wouldn't give us the auditorium because they had booked it, you know? Bureau bureaucracy, I love you. Venue Church has zero amount of politics in it, and there's reasons why. We, we got to the theater, and I told everybody this news, and the nasty was so excited, she ran right from the back, right down to the front, and then because she was still learning how to walk, she tried running up the stairs, 
but she tripped on the stairs and fell and like just bashed her legs all up and her legs were all black and blue probably until the time that we actually started church because she's very clumsy. But the excitement and that ready, rough, like we got scarred in those early years, but we bled this code every week. We had to. If you cut us, this is what we bled. If, if we talked about it constantly, I realized we need to get back to this thing because this is not specifics. It's how we think and how we feel the Holy Spirit thinks and feels about this city and, and about how we need to do church. Um, that wasn't even the hardest part. Like church planting is just about an impossible job to do. Like there's so, so huge high failure rate for church planting. Um, it's very difficult to do. I know a guy that had like 30 locations or something like that of a business. And he's like, oh, church planting. I'd never do that. <laughs> like it's a nightmare, you know, because he works with church planters now. And, but that wasn't even the hardest thing for us. The hardest thing for us is that our marriage was like, I would say it was like on the rocks, but that would be like generous because <laughs> it was kind of over. Like we were in a real bad place in our family and just the conflict and the, I think the pain and this, it's part of the reason why I preach the way that I preach, why we run small groups the way, why we try to like, Hey, let's get sin out because man, you can't cover it forever. Like it comes out why we, why we hit hard at things and why, because there's, there's to get the promises of God, you're going to have to fight for every inch of that. And so it was a hard time for us. And so here we are doing a church plant, which was ridiculously hard on top of the other thing. And the church plant was the easy part of all of that. You know, at least I felt like something was working, but Hey, we're doing good now. Hey babe. Come on. She gets to live with me. She likes it. Hey, try to do a baptism where they won't let you do baptisms. We're like, Hey, I'll sign, I'll sign a blank check. I'll pay for whatever. If it spills, if there's water, if there's, we flood the whole building, we'll pay for it all. Can we do a baptism on, down on the auditorium, down in the stage? No. One meeting I actually said, I got, I eventually appointed other people to go into those meetings because I, I would just like, yeah. all y'all. I finally just said, is anybody allowed to say yes to anything here? Like all I hear is no's all the time. I don't like hearing no. Like I just, I thought that we were the customer. You know what I mean? Like we just want to do a baptism service and roll a tub in and fill it with water and baptize people so they can get on with their lives in Jesus. And well, and then it's like, well, and then it's like, well, can we do one in the lobby space? It's super easy. They're like, sure, you could do it in the lobby space. And we get an email a week later. You can't do it in the lobby space anymore. They're like, yes, yes, no. We would do like a, we would do like a, an unplugged service. And then because they were worried about their fire escapes and they figured that 40 inches or whatever they needed for the fire escape walkway wasn't enough. They, we come in, this is pre COVID. So this was all new and they'd have taped lines on the floor eight feet over just to make sure that we could get to the exit while there's an exit here and an exit here, all with open spaces. And they'd be like, well, it's your problem to fit the chairs in that you need in here. I'm like, no, actually it's your problem. Like, this is not my building. This is actually your problem. You're getting paid to handle this right now. And, and my mom came in and saw the tape on the floor. My mom, all y'all does not like arrows on a floor. And I'm just like, don't look, don't look, don't lose your Holy spirit. Just go to a happy place. Go to a happy place. We'll deal with that. We'll deal with it. <laughs> She's still mad about that. Listen, every soul that came in and got closer to Christ, every single one we had to fight for. And the devil would stir up anybody he could get to, to try to get to us and to hurt us. And one time we, uh, one time we, we, we baptized a Muslim man and he'd converted, which is a powerful thing. And then, and then 
And then the Muslim community, he's like, yeah, put it online. I'm ready for it to go online, my baptism videos. We put it online, and then there was a lot of, I mean, there's, like, super nice people, but there's some pretty mean Christians out there, too, I will also say. But then the, the community kind of rose up against him. You know, like, the things that we were fighting for the souls of people in, in hard environments and tough places. And we baptized 28 people by video one time because it was so cold in December and January, and all they would let us do is do a, a, a baptism in the loading dock which is outside, and we can't do that when it's minus 20-something. And so that December, we, like, got 28 people either saved or recommitted to Christ in that December. We baptized them in my garage, but it was so cold and wet, in and out all the time, and you're just, like, fighting for the souls of people the entire time. And I got so sick during that period of time. We went to Mexico over Christmas. I still feel kind of bad about that because our kids were at Grandma's. They... They didn't, they would rather that we were not there probably at Christmas time. Every day is cake and ice cream. And so, but man, it took eight days just to get the rattle out of my lungs, just to feel like a normal person again there. Y'all should send me to Mexico again. I'm just saying, <laughs> it's just a fight that we were in. And then we baptized them. We did 28 baptism videos at once on a service in January and hit each other with water guns because we figured that they couldn't say no to that. It worked. We figured it out, man. We just, we just invited anybody. If, you've, if you're here at church right now, it's because Layden invited you. <laughs> Layden would invite, if Jesus walked past out there, Layden would be like, hey, you want to come to church? Let's get you baptized. Let's get you filled with the Holy Ghost. Let's get you into NXT, because Layden and Amy do NXT. Let's get you, here's your next steps for Venue Church. He invited a one-armed man to church from, from a coffee shop on 16th Avenue in Calgary. And his whole family got saved and baptized. It was like the fugitive, one-armed man. Yeah, the first service hadn't watched that show either. You guys grow up in a bubble or what? The fugitive, Harrison Ford. I don't care. He just did a Peter Pan off them. We got there one time. And there was like 300 Ukrainian dancers in there. And they were running late. Like an hour and a half late. And we got the service with less than an hour to do our complete tech setup. Now you see our tech setup, like I'm wearing a battery pack right now that I can plug in and turn a volume knob and it works 100% of the time. Everything back then was plugged in with these things called cords. <laughs> and so, and they were always glitchy, like it wouldn't work and then this year would work and this year wouldn't work and we had this system and that system and we had one tech problem before we, we did church this morning. We rarely have them before Sundays now. We used to have like 20 of them. And every system was not working. And it was like one minute to, I'm getting ready to go. And it's like, and the main computer decided to do an update. And we don't have another one because we don't have any money. Yeah. <laughs> and what in the, the tech crew back then, they were not as um, disciplined as the tech crews now. And it was like, I had two guys back there were like, oh, I don't know, it'll probably work out. And I'm like, who's going to work it out? <laughs> we got no screen, man. What are you going to do? You just, we're going to give you a mic and you're going to work it out? Hey, guys, uh, try the veal. You know what I mean? What, what's your big plan if it doesn't work out? Sound would go down. This would go down. Everything would go down. All of a sudden, no, nobody can hear themselves in their own ears. Anymore. I mean, it was just everything was a ghetto nightmare. We got in. There was 300 Ukrainian dancers, probably full of glitter. And we, we had an hour to get that church service up and running. I think we were only five minutes late, maybe. I think we got it. One time, we were moving people from a... From a a lobby service to a baptism in the loading dock. And right when the service ended, the, the then theater manager decided to, to dress down two venue 
volunteers right there. And like, and, and Emerson, who's not here, they're away on vacation this week. Emerson comes over and is like, Pastor, there's a crazy guy yelling at two of your people. And I'm like, oh, this is like the theater manager happening in public on the way to the baptism. And this is what we were dealing with, like week in and week out. We just didn't know what was going to happen, but we were fighting for the souls of our city. This code kept us there. This code kept our feet on the ground. This code was greater than all of us. We subscribed to it. We ate it. We went to sleep thinking about it. We woke up in the morning like, oh, God, give me strength. And then God would be like, code number one, code number one. We've lost friends over the code. We've gained a lot more. It, it has cost us, I think, anything that it could cost us. Now, what happens is if you come to Venue Church and you feel like God is calling you here, don't shop for churches, please. It's like, did you shop for your family? <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I know. Man, God has called you to be at a church. And if he's called you there, then it's the best church for you. And God's not going to call you to a church that you're already comfortable with because you don't know what's coming tomorrow. And God does. And so he's trying to get you into the right spot so that we can grow you into tomorrow. That's good. That's all I need to say about that. But if we don't tell you about our culture and our code, you'll make up one of your own. And then you'll be quite upset about a year from now when you find out that we don't care about it. <laughs> we care about what the Holy Spirit told us to care about. And this is how we think and this is how we feel. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 5. No one, this is Jesus speaking to you like he's pretty aware of the human condition. You're like, I'm pretty smart. Jesus is like, no, not really. This is what he says. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. Then this, then this, a very telling scripture. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old one is just fine, they say. Meaning for the changes, for God to get you into the inheritance that he has for you and for the inheritance that our city, that he has for our city, you need a new heart and a new mind and a new set of hands and a new way to walk and you need a new blueprint for life because your old one will not get you there. And, and Jesus is saying, every human, no matter if, if your current blueprint is getting you terrible results, you're still comfortable with it. It's still what you know. But Jesus has a blueprint for you and for your life. And when you follow that, then you build according to this blueprint, this master plan, then your life will be healthy and happy. And here's what we have to say. Health is not just for you. It's for helping. And that's why it needs to be that way. You might need a new heart to hold it. There's so many things that I could get into here. Here is our underlying motivator of the venue code. Here is the assumption that we all have. You need to have this assumption. You need to know about it. You need to wrestle with it. Here it is. We want to build churches that make an unengaged society feel something about God again. Yeah. Yeah. I am so sick and tired of us living in the blessing of God in Canada and driving cars down roads and not having... We think about God once a year when something goes off the rails. Then it's like, oh, Jesus, help. Yeah. And he's like, I don't even know who you are, man. <laughs> like, This is all you... Your wife got mad at you because you're an idiot, and now we're friends? That was for you ladies. You could help me out there a little bit more. We want to build churches that make an unengaged society feel something about God again. Love or hate him. Make up your mind. At least if you hate, you can repent of something. But this lukewarm, like, eh, I'll take Jesus at my own speed. You know the speed I took Jesus at? Oh, Jesus, help me. Oh, save me. Deliver me, Lord. Become Lord of my life. Love God, hate God, to feel something about him so that he can do something with your life. That is our underlying assumption 
That's how we cut us, and that's what we bleed. Feel something. Come to Venue Church, but man, you, you're not going to be able to fall asleep. You're either going to walk out of here every week a little bit mad because I hurt your feelings, and Jesus is like, I'm trying to get a little health into you, and you don't want to eat your carrots because they're nasty. And you're going to have your feelings hurt a little bit, but you're going to feel like you could take on the world and that the devil can't stop you anymore because that's what we want you to feel. This is about God and what he can do. This must be a place, this must be a place where the person who is brand new to church and like just looking to like try to get their kids off of drugs or not kill themselves or like just brand new. And the person who's grown up in church for 30 years are equally challenged by the same sermon, by the same worship set, equally challenged, level playing field. We walk right in the middle of the tension. I will not pick one and I will not pick the other. Church is for everybody. I will not pick a color of skin. I will not pick a political agenda. We're right in the middle. And we think that Jesus should have a say on all of it. And we're going to do it his way. And this is what he wants for us. We say things like this. We don't value comfort. And we say like this. Discomfort is a new comfort. We say things like this. Um, the only constant is change. Get used to it. Once you become comfortable with change, then you'll be fine. Because God's always trying to shift you and change you and cause you to grow. We're high challenge and high reward. We are here to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. You're welcome. Here's number one of our venue code. Every other code hinges on this one. It is our why. It is the lone thing that's out there that we can never lose sight of. We, we looked at this code again. We used to, every week we used to be talking about it. We, we're going to start talking about it more now because it bleeds. And we need to like bleed this code again. The first one, the one that matters more to us than anything else is our first code piece. A life saved is worth everything. You come in and you're like, yeah, but I've been, you know, everything. Let me tell you how much everything. Let me tell you how much everything. If to give you one opportunity to follow Christ, just one opportunity. I don't know what you're going to do with it, but to give you one, I would bleed every drop of blood on the ground that I have in my body. I would spend every cent. I would give every minute of every day of the rest of my life to give you one chance to know Jesus. And we all would. And until we do, that's the target. And we're never going to move our arrows to where the target actually is. We're going to keep the target where it is because that is our venue code. A life saved is worth everything. Your life was worth every drop of blood to Jesus. How could we as his people do anything less than that? The servants must look like the master. But your life also meant something to somebody else. And they paid for you to be here. They bought you the chair you're sitting on. They paid for the lights and made the worship experience so that you could be released from fear by the power of the Holy Spirit. They, they, they bought you the coffee that you drink in small groups so that you can get your life on track. Your life matters to us. It always will. Jesus says to, in Matthew 18, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? I hate to say it, but church people, you're the 99. And it's like, welcome to Venue Church, but it's not about you anymore. It's about the one who's not here, the one who's lost in their sin. And that's the healthiest place for you to be too. Your family can't be like, hey, it's all about my family. I can't be like, hey, it's all about me. It is absolutely not about me. And the healthiest place to be is when it's not. Now it's the healthiest church. Every church turns inward. I heard a pastor say, it's my job to keep it out. Like, hi, glad you're here. Love you. I'm glad that God is working in your life. We get to go to heaven. But your neighbor is locked up in their home and they're afraid and they don't know what to do. And you have the answer and you're sitting on it. And we need to give them the opportunity for salvation. Like, we just need to, like, call them up or just do anything that you can to try to connect them with the love of Jesus Christ. 
says, if he finds it, the shepherd, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than the other 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it, it is not my heavenly father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. We're crazy about this one. We'll never let this one go. And if you don't like that, then go to someplace else. Honestly, it'll make you very uncomfortable. We're like Nasty Gibson when she lost her kid at the mall. Look, anybody can lose their kid in Ikea. That's just normal human fathering. That's only happened to me one time. I heard code 99 in the kids, and I'm like, somebody lost a kid, mom. It was me. And then Katie came back, and I'm like, don't tell Aaron. Oh, my goodness. If you love me, don't tell my wife. Nasty lost one of her kids in the mall, a little, little child in the mall. And the security guard was doing what church people do sometimes. He's like, I'm sure the child will show up. And she's like, it's gonna, you're going to show up in a landfill. Find my baby. It would be like going to the mall and losing a child. And Jesus has many lost children out there who have all the power to be adopted, but they don't know. And we're like, hey, but I got three more kids. You know, 75% is not bad. More ice cream for me. Come on, that will never be venue church. We are obsessed. We can't forget about that one person. Like, they're still not here. They matter to us. You matter to us. Number two, we believe in Jesus as he is, not as we'd like him to be. Meaning we don't create Frank and Jesus. There's Jesus, and then there's Frank and Jesus, which looks a little like you and something like Jesus, but it's a weird little mix. As soon as Jesus gets mixed with anything else, he loses his power to save. He is who he is. We believe in Jesus as he is, not as we'd like him to be. And, and you know, the sermons, you can come in here, and, and I, don't, I don't hurt people's feelings if you're, like, far from God. People come in here all the time, and they have quite a comfort level here. You know, I think people who are nothing like Jesus like Jesus. Right? And so, they're like, yeah, well, you know, I don't believe everything you say, but, you know, I feel good here. But the, it's the, that little religious person inside of you. In the bad sense. We call them Pharisees. They used to be teachers of religious law in Jesus' day. Who hated Jesus somehow. And ended up crucifying Jesus. And they spent all their whole lives searching the scriptures. And missed the point of all of it. And that happens to everyone. Every church person. It eventually happens to you and it happens to me. And when I'm poking fun at church people. It kinda, it's sort of funny. Because I'm poking fun at that little person inside of me. That's just self-righteous and stupid. And forgot how sinful it is. And how much I need Jesus. As much as the person who's here trying to stop doing drugs. Like it's just, it's no different. I need Jesus more than I ever did. And that we believe in Jesus as he is, but it must be him as he is in his pure form. He gets everything he wants here. If he wants me to preach a different sermon, like five minutes before church, I'll flounder through it. I'll find a way we pray. Then we execute. You know what we don't do? Argue about what to do. Cause God tells us in the he tells us what to do. We mobilize our teams around it. Then we argue about how we're going to execute it in the best way that we can. We just take 90% of the struggle off the table and spend all the rest of that on the, the doing part. Why? He gets everything he wants. The Holy Spirit gets everything he wants every single time. And when we fail and miss the mark, it's not him. It's us. And we'll fix it. We'll fix it next week. Believe me. He gets everything he wants. He offends a bunch of his disciples, Jesus does, and they all leave him except for the 12. And then he says to Peter, do you want to go too? And Peter's like, where would we go? Nobody else has the words of life. Yeah, nobody else. Nobody but Jesus has the words of life. You can offend us all you want to, God. You say whatever you need to. All right, number three. Number three, Jesus saves people. Everything we do revolves around it. 
Everything we do revolves around Jesus saving people. Look, I, I'm preaching like, hey, let's deal with your anger problems. Let's deal with, the, you know, a lust issue. Let's deal with lying. Let's deal with this. Let's deal with gossip. Let's deal with it. Why? So that we can get you healthy so that you can help somebody. Yeah. Health is for helping. Yeah. Health is for, it's not so you can sit there in the blessing of God and be like, oh, good. Now I don't have to like help anybody else. No, it's for helping. That's the whole point of it. Yeah. You'll never find your purpose till you help somebody find their purpose. Right. And your purpose is connection with God and people and helping people. Yeah. Jesus saves people. Everything we do revolves around that. Number four, we keep it simple. We don't apologize for not doing everything because pastor's not that smart. <laughs> we don't do everything. Everything that we do is like based around like a weekend worship experience in small groups. If we can't work it in there, then we just don't do it. Um, we have a template for how we spend money. And if it's not on vision and if it's not like ethical and moral and legal, you're like, well, shouldn't churches spend money ethically? Well, yes, but not everybody does. That's why it's in there. <laughs> But if it doesn't have to do with our vision, we stop talking about it. Like, wait, how is this going to help you? It's not going to help you. Oh, we're done. We'll go do the next thing. We, we, don't, we don't need to spend one more minute thinking about that to make Aunt So-and-So happy who started that thing a long time ago. We don't care. We're just going to reach people and find the most effective way that we can do that and obey the Holy Spirit of God. We keep it simple. We are results-oriented. What's that called when you have more than one vision? Division. Division. We don't have division here. The Holy Spirit speaks his vision to the church. As a youth person come and say, like, I have great vision for the youth ministry. And I'm like, that's great, but we don't care. We already have vision for the youth ministry. Can you do this? That's what we care about. So our team leads come back and they're like, okay, pastor, what is the Holy Spirit saying about this? And I'm like, okay, do this thing. Don't do that thing. This thing I don't even care about anymore because you know what? It was just an idea in my head and I don't feel like the Holy Spirit wants us to do it. And then they go out and execute it. And it's powerful. It brings unity and like, and then... The amount of leeway that they have in that, in the creative team, they're like, pastor, talk about the next series coming up. And I give them the heart of the series. And then they run with it and they create stuff that I couldn't do in a thousand years. And it's incredible the gifts that God brings out when it's one vision, when it's the Holy Spirit getting everything that he wants. Oh, there's so much I could say. Last one, we have candid conversations. We have candid conversations. We're tired of the Canadian gossip thing. We don't think it's honoring to avoid people, make eye contact. If you've got something to say, then walk over and say it, and then you get to respond to me, because that's how family works. And we're not gonna sit here and have backdoor conversations about you, that's not gonna happen. We're, if we have an issue with you, we're gonna deal with the issue with you. And if you have an issue, then take your problems up. Anything else is called gossip. We don't think that that's honoring. We don't think that God can build his kingdom if we build it like Canadian culture, because it's not working. We love and we honor, that's coming up next. These are only the first five that I'm gonna give you. But look, we have candid conversations. Just tell the truth. And if you sinned and hurt somebody, just tell the truth and get it out in the open so that that quits building a, a secret in your life. We want God to heal you and help you. All right. Here's a candid conversation. Keep the vision fresh. Because when God gives you a vision, you can sacrifice anything for it. But if you lose sight of that vision, you won't. And then the sacrifice will start to feel like a lot. But it's not a lot compared to what you were given. It's not like Jesus' blood... Me bleeding for you is nothing compared to what Jesus did for me. Nothing at all. He was holy and I'm not holy. I'm just trying to help. It's not when we keep the vision fresh, then God can ask anything of us because we remember why it is that we exist as a church. And here's what I will say to end this. It will never make sense to you how, how we do Venue Church. It will never make sense to you until it's your brother who's far from God sitting beside you in a worship experience. Then you'll be like, that's why, we, that's why we try to keep the kids in the kids' spaces to respect everybody's experience, but particularly the one that we've got 10 minutes to reach. 10 minutes is all we've got for their one and only opportunity of salvation, maybe. 
And that's what we, and if it's your brother, you're going to take all the care in the world to make sure that it's just right. To make sure that it's just distraction free and like just focus and just hear the Holy Spirit. I can't believe I got him to church. It's somebody's son or somebody's daughter. I can't believe they're here. But when they're here, oh my God, we got to like, come on, Holy Spirit. Come on, come on, come on. Holy Spirit, come on, reach them, save them, help them. I'm done preaching. Is it good?